Good morning and welcome to church this Sunday morning. Obviously a very, very warm welcome to everyone, whether you're here in church in Brighton Road or whether you are joining us on the live stream. We hope that you will feel God's presence as you worship with us this morning. I think I'm known to most people. My name is Julie Rudd and I'm one of the deacons here at Brighton Road. And I come this morning to share with you the words that God has placed on my heart. Let us join together as God's family. However glad we are, however out of sorts we may feel, we come together as a people who Jesus calls into community with one another. So this becomes a place where we are all welcome. We've come to give thanks, to pray and to sing with one another and most importantly, to worship our God. Let's start that worship as we stand and sing tremendous old hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. about 
prayers that God has answered for you this week. Maybe the things that you're thankful for in God's provision over this past week. And in a few moments, I'm going to leave a space of quietness for people to voice those prayers. So please do share maybe a short prayer together or a sentence of what you're thankful for in a few moments as an encouragement to each other in God's family. But first, let me lead you in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks this day because your work on the cross means that we are clothed with your righteousness and we can sing your praises. You are a good God and your love endures forever. Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and discernment to make choices that honour and glorify you today. Thank you that within you we find treasures of wisdom and knowledge and you generously give us understanding through your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you will grant us your strength and your grace today. Amen. So let's share with one another things that we are thankful for in God's provision and answered prayer this week. Lord, we thank you for answered prayer and we thank you for the encouragement of being able to share that with one another. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of your family and as such we say together now the Lord's Prayer to you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Our first reading this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord, the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling says in the desert prepare the way for the lord make straight in the wilderness a highway for our god every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low the rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain and the glory of the lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As we are looking at the encounters of Jesus with many different people in John's Gospel, he is giving us clues or signs around God's word becoming true. These signposts take us through his story. There are occasions when Jesus is fulfilling his promises that we heard about last week when David Wickersham spoke to us about his encounter with Nathaniel. These are moments when heaven is opened up and we see the transforming power of God's love burst into this world. 
We see in these encounters actually bringing to life the motto of uh, John's Gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Julie's going to unpack for us another encounter um, of Jesus, this time with his mother, later in the service. And we can get from all of these signs a clue around how we can worship and thank our God. I wonder, do we recognise these signposts that Jesus gives us in our everyday lives? And do we always see these little glimpses of heaven and God's character every day? Well, I want to share with you a kind of word of personal testimony this morning when I've seen some glimpses of God in this past week and they came in the most surprising of circumstances. Um, on Monday, I was invited to go and share with Pleasant Monday Afternoon. So this church is a busy church. It's not just about Sunday, is it? It's about all the things that happen during the week, all the opportunities that we have to meet with each other and to meet with God. I have to say I was a little bit fearful um, to go into PMA on Monday afternoon. I'd never done that before. But what I met there was a group of 26 people who absolutely personified God's love and care to each other and to me as a visitor. This is a fellowship of people between the ages of, our, I think, early 50s and probably late 80s. And they are finding ways to serve God as part of this church. And God really spoke to me through that experience. He showed me that no matter what our gifts what our talents and what our capabilities. We can meet with him and each other and care for each other. And just as our church vision talks about having a family, that we are part of God's family with a shared sense of unity and purpose, I tell you, I felt it tangibly on Monday. And another time that God spoke to me this week was when I left the service last Sunday and some small children were coming rushing out of the kids club and it's happening now as we speak. And one of the little boys talked to his parents about being careful with his craft because it was about the story of Moses. And it impacted me again that in this wonderful church family that youngsters can signal to us that they are understanding the signs of God's love. So I share these two incidents with you to encourage you that we are a family and we are very able to see tangible signs of God's love in this fellowship and in this community. And I would encourage you to look with eager eyes for the signs of God's work with us here and in your everyday lives, because that will give you the strength and the encouragement to serve and worship our God. Let's join together and do that just now as we sing all my days.
is now going to come and bring the second reading and lead us in our prayers. Hello. Today's reading comes from John chapter 2 and we're reading from verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. We now join together in prayers of intercession. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this account of the wedding feast. It shows us you are interested in the intricacies of our lives, the special moments we share together, be it a wedding, a birthday, a new birth, a family or friends reunion, new job whatever it may be, you celebrate with us. But you know too the difficult times we go through. And today we think of those we know who are in pain, those who have lost a loved one, maybe waiting tests or surgery, those struggling with anxiety or fear in these uncertain times. Father, we have been reminded you are Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray that each one will know the peace, hope and even joy that Jesus gives in the midst of these difficult circumstances. May your love enfold them. These are indeed difficult times. As we look at the news, we see a world in turmoil and we can feel helpless and hopeless. But you are God and can bring order out of chaos. Your word instructs us to pray for all those in authority over us. So we pray for our leaders in this country and world leaders in government, and we pray that you will raise up men and women of integrity, of honour, and with respect for one another. And we pray more especially for those who would seek your wisdom and discernment. 
It is a world in desperate need of your love. And we pray for those who would seek to silence the good news of Jesus, be it by political means, aggression, or killings. And we pray for all Christians who are being persecuted across the world. But we pray you would open deaf ears and blind eyes and open their hearts to receive your love. Father, we pray that you would give us courage and boldness to share our stories of our encounters with you. Help us, whatever our circumstances, as the Bishop of Chichester centuries ago prayed, to know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, that we might be light in the darkness and share the hope that we have in Jesus with those we meet. For he came to bring us life in all its fullness. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hilary. Before Julie comes to speak to us, we're actually going to sing about that hope that Hilary has just prayed for. But before we do sing, we're going to listen as the musicians play the tune through. Um, not because we don't know this song, because I, I feel we do, but because I think this will help to prepare our hearts and our minds to think about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So let's stay seated while the musicians play to us.
you. Good morning. May I take this opportunity, first of all, to say thank you to all those who've been praying for me as I had um, the cancer operation last month. Um, I'm, I feel very good. I feel fine. And uh, I, I am just, though, waiting to hear um, whether it's just the radiotherapy that I'll need next month or whether it's chemotherapy as well. So I'm really hoping that it's not. But I want to thank you. And I felt carried, carried by Jesus, carried by the prayers of people. And I've all the way through, I've felt absolutely so thankful and so grateful to God for the NHS, for the care, for finding it early, for all of those things. Every day is a gift. And today, um, this is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing, as uh, we heard, our new series in Encounters with Jesus in John. And uh, we looked at Andrew and Nathaniel in uh, John chapter 1. And today I've been given an encounter with his mother. And at first I thought, what? Uh, you know, what's all this about? Because, obviously, not a first-time encounter. At 30 years old, he'd uh, spent a lot of time with his mother. So what was special or different about this particular encounter or interaction that John wants to highlight for us? It seemed to be, in one sense, quite a definitive moment in, in Jesus' relationship with her. Uh, that's how I see it. With respect to his divine mission that John wants us to be aware of. So we're going to take a look. John's gospel, uh, a little bit different to Matthew, Mark and Luke, uh, in that he doesn't, it's not a biography, it's not uh, a step-by-step -step, uh, taking you through Jesus' life. John is very theological, if you like. There's lots of, he chooses his uh, things to record and um, uh, because the whole point really as he makes at the end of, of John in John chapter 20 that this is um, that uh, John 20 these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name he wants people to believe he wants to show the significance of Jesus as the Son of of God. And as we had heard uh, earlier in the reading, the incident takes place in, uh, at a wedding in Cana in Galilee, a familiar story. It's about four miles uh, north of Nazareth. On the third day, it said, on the third day a wedding took place. Third days seem to be significant in scripture, but I'm not really sure it could be the third day after uh, calling of Nathaniel. I'm not exactly sure, neither is anyone else, I don't think, about what that means. Um, but it's where this first miracle takes place, of the turning the water into wine. Some of you might be here, but we visited Cana in Galilee. Were you there, Elle? I'm not sure. On that trip, um, on the second trip to Israel that I led for life and for Brighton Road Baptist Church. So when I think of Cana, I think of this particular inc uh, incident. Um, there's a church there. It's quite a nice church, actually. It wasn't kind of ever so touristy. But I remember opposite the church, there, there was the Cana wine shop. And uh, obviously the church is making much of the miracle, and so is, is the shop. And uh, I remember that uh, the owners were taking round trays of very small cups of wine for people to, to drink and then encourage them to buy. And one of our party, I won't say who, um, was persuaded to take a cup, which, and he relented, and he did take it, and he drank it. And then he was immediately mortified as he'd been teetotal all his life. And he felt he'd been led astray and he repented, and right in the middle of this shop with everyone crowding around, he, he felt, uh, he, he said, oh, my mother, these were his words, his mother will be turning, my mother will be turning in her grave, he said. He was absolutely mortified. But afterwards, 
uh, he was fine, all was well, um, and he laughed about it, um, as did all of us who were there. Jesus' mother, Mary, was at this wedding, and Jesus' disciples and himself had been invited. It doesn't say in, in, in the reading, but it, it does seem to, to suggest that Mary was quite an important person in this. It might have been a, a, a relation of hers. Um, she seemed to be quite an influential guest. She was concerned that the wine had run out, and also the fact that she was able to give instructions to the servants, and they listened to her. So we don't know, but it, it does seem that she had quite a part to play. And she said, as we heard, to Jesus, they have no more wine. No more wine. To run out of wine on these occasions would have been a hugely embarrassing thing for the host. Absolutely devastating. Um, they couldn't pop across to the Cana wine shop and order a few more crates. It would have been a really difficult situation for them. Um, when Mary said to Jesus, they've no more wine, just thinking around this, what, what was she expecting, I wonder? Was she expecting him to do a miracle, or was she just telling him and trusting him to sort out the problem somehow? John verse 11, 2 verse 11, tells us this is the first miracle. But with all the prophecies that she had ringing in her ears, um, from uh, when, when, when the angel came to tell her about Jesus and with Simeon afterwards, she surely knew he could. We can only surmise again. But there's five things about this account that I, I mean, there's, there's so much in this we could dig so deep. And, and uh, commentaries have a field day with, uh, with this passage. But there's five things I'd, I'd like to highlight for us this morning, which will then lead us into communion. So it's Jesus, can we have verse four up, please? It's Jesus' answer that might surprise us, first of all. This actually says, dear woman, but in, an, in other versions it just says, woman. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Woman, it's his mother. This sounds a little bit distant respectful, especially if it just in the versions that just say woman uh, to our English ears, but it wasn't, let's be assured, it wasn't a rude manner of speaking. Jesus, of course, would not be disrespectful to his mother. He lovingly uses the same word when he tells Mary that he's entrusting her uh, to John's care in, uh, later on in, from the cross on John, in John 19. A woman is a typical address for a woman in, in, in in here in those days but in using woman and not mother or mum it indicates to us John is kind of highlighting I think as I thought around this a new relationship with his mother now that he was about to begin his public ministry there's a shift here in this encounter and then why do you involve me why do you involve me? In other versions, it says, what, what does this have to do with me? Which sounds even blunter, doesn't it? You, another version says, you mustn't tell me what to do, which is a paraphrase. Why are you saying this to me? What have I to do with thee? Or what business do we have with each other? There's all sorts of ways of in, interpreting or paraphrasing this, but this question... Uh, Jesus asked his mother, it isn't rude either. It was a, a common idiom in the Greek. Jesus' question, ti emoi kai soi. The phrase was used to ask of the connection between two people. So it wasn't rude, but why does he say it, uh, it uh, like that at, in this place? Well, again, I think John is highlighting it because Jesus is expressing the fact that he's independent of his mother and he's making the point gently and when I read this immediately uh, John chapter 5 verse 19 came to mind which says the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees his father doing 
Because whatever the father does, the son also does. It's a couple of chapters on. So now, in this kind of shift that we see, it was now faith and adherence to the father's will, rather than to the natural motherhood and authority, which... So it was the father's which was going to be the basis with his mother from now on with respect to his ministry of salvation. It was a shift. He's now, as we shall see as this progresses uh, through John, he's now on the countdown, if you like, to the cross. And he's shifting to publicly living out his role as Messiah. Thirdly, Jesus replied, my time has not yet come or my hour has not yet come in another version and this reference to his hour or his time reminds us that Jesus is constantly working from a divine timetable and he's so aware of that so he wasn't going to be revealing his power any sooner than God the Father intended this is the first of many references that Jesus makes to time. He's constantly aware that he's on this divine schedule. He's marching, if you like, towards the, the cross. And everything needs to happen at the right time. So he's not being rude or dismissive in this verse. But when it comes to his role as Messiah, the point that Jesus is making, he and his mother are no longer on common ground. His directions in life came from his Father in heaven. He lived on his Father's timetable, not his own. And everything else had to be sub subordinate to that. Even family ties. The domestic authority that Mary had, and of course he continued to love her and respect her as his mother, but it no longer exists in his public ministry his directions in life came from his father and his family must view jesus in the light of his mission to go to the cross and here we have john highlighting this so this encounter with his mother seems to mark um, a bit of a transition in their relationship but then there's the miracle itself fourthly Mary turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. When I was at Spurgeon's College, we went on a mission to Brazil and um, we visited a town called Aparecida in Brazil for three weeks. And much was made of Mary in this particular place. Um, in the 18th century, a statue a, a black statue of Mary had been found in the river and now she, was, she is still very much venerated there and there was a huge like cathedral type place and, and I remember Mary was, it, well, this black statue of Mary was right up high and um, people were worshipping and I just felt so sad why I, it, this reminded me of that is because around it, it did say, around this statue, it did say, do whatever he tells you. So that reminded me of this. But I just felt really sad when I was there. It's the largest Marian shrine in the world. And this place accommodates 45,000 people. And there's miracles attributed to Mary. There's a, a walkway that goes all the way up. Um, and there's blood on the, I've told you this before, but there's blood on the, on the pavement as people on their bended knees go and worship Mary. And I just felt so sad when I was there because I was thinking, you know, I don't think, she, I think she would have been horrified um, to, to, to see this because it was all about him. It's all about Jesus and, uh, and not her. Something to just learn from Mary here when she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Um, and before, Mary's, it seems, has come to trust that Jesus can resolve her problems. Just as she was when Jesus was conceived, Mary 
seems to be very content to trust in God's plans, even when she doesn't know all the details. And we can learn from this. Remember when the angel came and told her, well, let it be to me according to, to his will. Uh, she, she didn't know, she didn't know all the details, but she trusted God when she, she, told, she was told she was going to have this, uh, this baby. And here too, she just says they have no more wine. She doesn't ask him to buy it, create it, make it. Um, she's just simply telling him the problem. And I think that for us too, it made me think that when we pray, we forget that it's not our place to tell God what to do and in the way to do it. We can ask him. He wants us to be detailed about asking. I'm not saying that. But in the end, we present our problem and our difficulties and our pains and our hurts and we trust him with our lives. We trust him to know uh, what to do and how to do it and in the best way. might not be the way that we think. Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't do uh, a miracle. He said, my time hasn't come, but he didn't say he wasn't going to do one. He didn't say he wouldn't, and he did so. Um, but it had to be on his father's terms, not his earthly mother's. And yes, we saw him turning the water into wine, but he did so in a very semi-private way, semi-public way, in a subtle way. Only the servants uh, and Mary and a few disciples even knew what he'd done. I don't know if they got to know afterwards or not, but it, it was privately uh, done. Um, it seems that the miracle was to introduce the disciples to his power, not to go majorly public with it at this time, because it wasn't quite the right time. And we, we saw in verse 6 that there were these, and this is significant, six stone water jars, the kind that were used for, by the Jews for the ceremonial washing. And Jesus tells them, as we read, to, uh, Jesus tells the servants to fill them with water. They filled them, now draw it out, take it to the master of the banquet, who then proceeded to taste it. And he didn't know where it had come from. Only the servants knew. And the amazing thing was that it, it wasn't just, it, was, it wasn't just wine. It was amazing wine. It was wonderful wine. It was the best wine. And as he said, you, you, to the bridegroom, you bring out the choice. Everyone else brings the choice wine out first, and then when people have drunk too much, they don't know what they're drinking anyway, basically. Um, but you've saved the best till last. This was amazing wine that Jesus created. Fifthly, the sign. As uh, Julius mentioned about signs, it seems that there's a bit more to this miracle than just saving the host from embarrassment. Verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And John specifically uses the word sign for these miracles and it's the first of seven signs that he's, he's deliberately included to, to, to further his point uh, about Jesus being the Messiah. That verse again, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So what's the, if you like, spiritual significance of this sign? Well, there's lots of things that we could say about this, but it seems that he's highlighting the difference between external religion and internal transformation. That's one of the things. And as we come into communion, we just look at this just for a moment so that it helps us to, to understand and appreciate what's happening here. John wanted us to know that these pots were not for ordinary drinking water but rather the water used for purification, outside purification. Jesus could have created the wine out of nothing, and he could 
have created the containers to hold it, but no, he uses this, and that's very significant. Sometimes when we read this story, we just can gloss over these things, can't we? But there is such depth, there's such... When, we, when you look into these kind of accounts, there's so much there. And that's why the Bible's exciting, and uh, why God encourages us to read it, of course. Um, in the Law of Moses, God commanded the priests to undergo a water cleansing before they came into his presence in the temple. This is what happened in the past. And it was a symbolic way of teaching people that one had to be cleansed of sin in order to draw near to God. And as the priests were cleansed and approached um, God with animal sacrifices for the people's sin, it was a foreshadowing of the work of Christ who was to live a sinless life and thus qualify to give his own life as a payment for our sins. But over the centuries, the religious leaders had corrupted this symbol of God's plan of salvation so that the meaning was distorted. And we won't obviously read it, we haven't got time, but um, they, they taught that our main spiritual problem is outside from foods and objects and even air contaminated by Gentiles and that the main spiritual remedy is external cleansing. And they insisted, and you can read this, in elaborate uh, uh, things that you had to do before you have a meal, etc., to avoid this contamination. Focus on the externals and trying to keep the outside clean. And Jesus is rejecting in other passages, especially in Mark chapter 7 and in Matthew, he rejects this. He declares that the real spiritual problem that we have, they have, we have, everyone has, is internal. Mark chapter 7 records him talking to the Pharisees, telling them that they'd got it all, they got it all wrong. Woe to you, hypocrites, he says, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, he didn't mince his words. Beautiful on the outside, but full of hypocrisy and wickedness inside. Clean the inside first, he said, and then the outside will be clean. What's needed is an internal change. But we can't do it ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we try to be, we can't do it ourselves. And this is what Jesus came to offer. This is what one of the things that this sign teaches. Supernaturally changing the purification water into wine in the pots, which were then was then drunk and internalized, is a is a way of uh, condemning and rejecting uh, externalistic and religious spirituality, which we too are often guilty of. I have to say, and by making this fine, amazing, wonderful wine to be drunk internally, it's a symbol of God's gift of internal transformation that Jesus communicates he is the giver of abundant amazing spiritual life that changes us from the inside out and only he can do it this is the gospel this is the gospel we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to God we can't do it ourselves when we come to Jesus we accept what he's done on the cross for us, that he died for us, that sinless sacrifice. We come to him just as we are. We have to come, though, conscious that we're not as we should be and that we want to change. There needs to be that, but we come just as we are. And then Jesus. Jesus gives us his life in exchange for ours. And that wonderful, amazing presence of the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out. Hallelujah, I want to say. I'm so grateful, so grateful that it's Jesus who does it. And it's only as we come to him. And I imagine most people have come to Jesus here today. And we know. But if we know him and we've had our lives beginning to be transformed. But if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't taken that step yet of faith, today is a day of salvation, the Bible tells us. And you too can receive him and take bread and wine 
and say to Jesus, please would you forgive my sins? Those of us who know him know that we've already been made righteous, but we mess up constantly. I do. We all do. And I'd like us to take a moment before we take the bread and wine, just to ask God if there's anything, especially at the beginning of this year with communion, if there's anything that is blocking the way, that you've got a bit kind of bunged up, as it were, and you, you stop the, the flow of the Holy Spirit out of your life, is there anything that the Holy Spirit might highlight? I'd like us to just one moment and consider and come before God, and then we're going to remain seated and sing Purify My Heart as a prayer. So just one moment of silence, and then we'll sing. said in, in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we are so grateful. And we want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. That we can start again. Amen. And wine with gratitude um, to Jesus for what he's done for us. I've asked the deacons to take the bread and the wine round. So you take the bread and then, and then you eat it to uh, remind yourself of your personal relationship with Jesus, if you have one. And if you don't and you want to, then today is a day of salvation. Of course, you can come to him even today and receive his life in you. And then we'll retain the cup and then we'll drink it together because we're in this together. This is church. And this is his church. And uh, we can be grateful that we are part of his body. I'm just going to read the little bit from Matthew where it says, 
While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he said, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for doing what we couldn't do. Thank you that you set your face towards the cross, that it was your mission. And we are so grateful. We thank you that we heard the gospel. We thank you that however it was, through reading your word, through a friend, through coming to church, however it was, we heard the good news of Jesus Christ and how he could forgive us and restore our, relation, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we thank you. We thank you so much for that. And Lord, we want to remember you as you've told us to in these simple elements, elements of bread and, 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 and wine. We, we simply want to remember you and have hearts full of thankfulness and gratitude. And I pray, Lord God, that this will not be an external ritual that we're doing this morning in communion. Uh, it can be, we can just take it without, I pray that there'll be an encounter with your Holy Spirit and we will sense your presence as we do this in obedience to what you have called us to do. Amen. He took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He took the cup, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and remember.
Let's drink together. And may our hearts overflow with thankfulness. Let's together by singing that song, My Heart is Full of Thankfulness. joining with us in worship today and we hope that you will come and partake of our Christian family life during the course of this week and also join us again next Sunday when David Skip will lead our worship and the Reverend Stuart Davidson from SEBA, the Southeastern Baptist Association, will bring God's word to us. But let's join as a family and say the blessing to one another as we close our worship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.